Every week we go to the scriptures, we, uh, we, we do so uh, because the person and work of Jesus are most clearly revealed there. Uh, preaching this week is one of our church planting residents, uh, D'Amico Bivens. Uh, you will introduce your, there's one whoop I heard. Let's get more than that. All right. I don't, it's uncomfortable, isn't it, bud? I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to let D'Amico introduce himself uh, in a moment. Uh, and where he's in process of, of uh, planting with us. So, but the, the text he's going to be preaching from is James 3. And so uh, let, me, let me just pray briefly for us as we dive in. Father, help us to hear. As we hear uh, from your word this morning, from your scriptures, on the importance of our tongues. Help us to hear. And then help us to leave and live it. Pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, hear the word of the Lord from James chapter 3. Not many of you should be teacher, become teachers, my brothers. For you know that he who, uh, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But... No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, and peace be with you. For those of you who whoop for me, I'll pay you after service for making me feel welcome. Uh, I've actually been in a lot of you all's parish, uh, so it was really cool. It's really cool just being back with you all. So I'm excited, excited to be here. But I'm D'Amico Bivens, like Brandon aforementioned, a church playing resident. We are currently hanging out at Sojourn Montrose, and we are part of a team that is planting south of the greater third ward. And I'm humbled to be here proclaiming God's word. And yeah, so we've recently started a neighborhood parish in our neighborhood and uh, it, we've opened it to our neighbors so it's gone public and 
from the first meeting, we were already feeling the tension of multiplication. We were like, okay, it, it's, it's a good bit of people here. And so we build the tension to start other neighborhood parishes uh, so that we have enough room to invite our neighbors. And so that's really exciting. Uh, so moving here from Mississippi to then experience COVID to now have a neighborhood parish, we are very, very excited. Uh, allow me to pray for us as we continue our time together. God, you hear us. God, you are good. You have provided everything we need through the person and work of Jesus. God, as we discuss taming the tongue, might you lead us by your spirit to be able to be your indwelled people who use our words for affirmation and boasting in Christ. God, help us. God, we need your help to be able to navigate all that life throws our way. For the believer, we have Jesus who models for us what our lives should look like. And God, I am grateful to be able to proclaim your word on this morning. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. These were wise words from people who were more mature than us that knew something that we were beginning to learn. Our words can build up or tear down others. A lot of us have personal experience with this. The Bible, God's inspired word, also guides us as to how we should use our words. In the Old Testament, in part of the Bible called the wisdom literature, we have the book of Proverbs. And we learn a lot from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 11 and 12 says, it is foolish to belittle a neighbor. A person with good sense remains silent. Proverbs 16, 24, kind words are like sweet honey to the soul and healthy for the body. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and who love it will eat its fruits. This last proverb, death and life are in the power of the tongue, has everything to do with what is in our hearts. What you say, how you say it, when you say it has everything to do with your heart. Who we are at our core comes out in what we say. If our hearts are far from God, we express that in what we say about others. If your heart is seeking after God, his righteousness, his holiness, you speak life and you bless God and you bless others. Our words carry tremendous weight and power to those who hear. If you're in the room and you think that words don't matter, talk to someone who has been called overweight, underweight, too tall, too short, not having nice clothes, having bad body odor, being called ugly, too pale, too dark. Words matter. If you don't think words matter, remember the time someone told you that blue looked good on you. Someone said, blue is your color. And after talking to them, you started wearing blue as often as you could. 
Remember when someone noticed your haircut and they said that it really accentuated your cheekbones? You wore that same haircut for 10 years. Words matter. But the opposite is true. Remember when someone told you that you wouldn't amount to anything, that you were a failure, that you weren't good enough, talented enough? Those words either motivated you or they cut you deeply. Our words matter. Additionally, words happen to be how the creation narrative starts. God speaks. God uses words to create the world. In Genesis 1 and 3, God says, let there be light, and the light was good. God also creates man in his image and his likeness. Genesis 1 and 26, let us make man in our image. You hear us and our speaking of the Godhead, God being one in essence and three in persons, created man. In verse 28, it says that God blessed them. God then gave them a command. He said to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. God gave them a command. He said that you can enjoy all the good things I created. You can have it all, subdue it all, except don't eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. All the amazing things I provided for you, just don't eat from one of them. If you do, you shall surely die. God saw all that he had spoken to existence, and God said that it was very good. It was very good. But someone knew exactly what God had spoken to Adam and Eve. Satan spoke lies and deceit. We see Satan speaking in Genesis 3 and 4. The crafty serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Satan was speaking to Eve. Satan was like, I know what God told you. I know but don't listen to him. Satan speaking created doubt with Eve, making Eve believe that God was withholding something good from her. She and Adam ate of the fruit that God had commanded them not to, and as a result, the serpent, Adam, and Eve were cursed, and we now live in the shadows of the decisions made in the garden. I'm going somewhere. We now live in a world that now, because of sin, is not very good. We live in a world where sin is ever-present. We were born in a sinful world with a sinful nature. And because of our sinful nature, it affects how we speak. People speak. And we speak a lot. We talk a lot. We wait on our turns to talk. We don't listen well. Probably because we think we're smarter than the person that we're talking to. But in regards to your speech, who or what do you speak of the most? Who or what do you speak of the most? If we were to record you speaking for a week, I'm not sure of the legality of this. I'm not sure if that's legal. But if we were to record you for a week, excluding Sundays or parish gatherings, would we hear about God? Because this is what I know to be true. When you really love something, you talk about it. We talk about our favorite restaurants. We talk about our favorite sports teams. We talk about the favorite beaches we like to do, especially with Memorial Day being tomorrow. We talk about our spouses, our children, our girlfriends. 
When you really love something, you talk about it. So I ask again, who or what do you speak of the most? So what does James want us to know about the tongue? The main point of what we read in James 3, 1 through 12, is that when you follow Jesus, your words tell who has your heart. When you follow Jesus, your words tell who has your heart. And based on your words, has your heart been captivated by Jesus? Has your heart been captivated by Jesus? We'll use James 3 as our litmus test. James starts out by reminding us that we have great potential to sin in what we say. James does not exclude himself, and neither do I. James says we all stumble. We all speak carelessly at times, and when you do that, there is grace for you. James says that only the perfect or fully mature does not sin in what they say. Mature Christian men and women learn to bridle their tongue to some degree by the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of y'all know it takes a supernatural power for us to not say mean and hurtful things to others or our neighbors? James says earlier in this letter in James 1 and 26, any man who does not bridle the tongue has a worthless religion. If you can't bridle your tongue, you make Christianity and God look bad. Because when the world see us as Christians talking bad about people made in the image and likeness of God, they say, I don't want anything to do with that. It has been said about the tongue that God gave us a teeth, gave us teeth to cage it in and a mouth to close it up. James continues his discourse discouraging some from being teachers, reminding them of the seriousness of teaching God's words because those who teach will be held to a higher standard. God's word for the believer is to be honored and to be revered. Hear this, teachers and students of God's words, we must be self-feeders of God's words knowing it, reading it, and applying it to our lives. This is the call for the believer. And not only do we have great potential to sin in what we say, we see that there is tongue, great power in the tongue. This tongue has great power. We see this in verses 3 through 6. James tells us of the power of the tongue. James uses three illustrations to drive this point home. Firstly, if we put bits in the mouths of horses, if we can control their mouth, we can control their whole bodies as well. James doubles down on this point, talking about large ships. Large ships needed wind power to, to power them. But the rudder, very small in comparison to the rest of the ship, guides the ship on open waters and helps it to return back to shore. And then James finishes his point on the power of the tongue, referencing what Christians are to boast in. And hear this, Christian in the room, the only thing we can and should boast in is Christ. 
Because Christ did what we could not do. Christ lived a life, a perfect life. Christ died in our place, and Christ did not stay dead. Christ was resurrected. Christ is alive. Christ ascended into heaven and is at the right hand of the Father. Believer, this is your call to boast in Christ. However, these verses are not depicting someone boasting in Christ. It describes the tongue as a fire boasting in unrighteousness. This is the opposite of what we should be boasting in. We should be blessing God and others with our words. But because of sin, we cause damage to those around us like wildfire scorching everything in its path. Your words can be used for righteousness or unrighteousness. We can speak for the betterment or the detriment of people. Because when you follow Jesus, your words tell who has your heart. In verse 6, James suggests that unrighteous words are not godly at all. James says their words are set on fire by hell. The word used for hell is a reference to a place right outside of Jerusalem where trash was burned around the clock. During Old Testament times, pagan people would sacrifice their children at this location, which is called the Valley of Hinnon. Words matter. James used this word to drive home the point of the great power of the tongue But I love what James does. James in his letter gives us guide rails to have our tongues in check. James tells us something very difficult for us to do. In James chapter 1 verse 19, James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because James knew something. James knew of the great power of the tongue. And what I know about us as fallen human beings, we won't do this perfectly. Verses 7 through 10 paint a picture of our inability to control the tongue. We have an inability to control the tongue apart from the Spirit. We see this in verses 7 through 10. James contrasts this with some animals that we've learned to tame. I love medieval times. You may be seeing how they taught messenger pigeons to take messages from one kingdom to the next or alligators that in some cases would allow their trainers to stick their heads in the mouths in their mouths until they didn't or even large orcas sometimes called killer whales that would allow trainers to ride on their backs until they don't if you've ever tried to train an animal you know the work that goes into it imagine you're the first person to train a lion you had to be part courageous and crazy, but eventually you do it. You, you tame a wild lion, teach it to sit, roar, most importantly, not to kill you. James is saying it may be easier to tame a wild lion than for a human to bless God and bless others with their words. Interesting contrast. James says, from our mouths come blessing and cursings, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. James knows that blessing God and speaking bad about people made in the image of God is hypocritical. 
You can't, I can't love God if you don't simultaneously love his creation. Our words tell what we love. James says no man can tame the tongue. But there's an underlying problem that we haven't addressed. The next two verses, 11 through 12, help to shine a light on something that we maybe have been blind to. Our words are an indication of our hearts. Our words are an indication of our heart. You may need to repent and say, God, based on my words, my heart is far from you. So let's do a heart check. How is your heart? In the synoptic gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, a question is asked, what defiles a person? I'm summarizing, but Jesus is saying to the people that ceremonial impurity was not their chief problem. And that time it was all about being clean or unclean based on ceremonial laws. Jesus says our chief problem is our heart. Out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus was telling people around him, telling his disciples that being around sinners was not their chief problem. Jesus showed us, in fact, sinners is who we should be around. Might we be guilty of being called friends of sinners? Might our social circles be filled with people who are far from God? Jesus and James wants us to know what comes out of us is a reflection of what is going on in our heart. Verses 11 and 12 ask two questions and provide an answer for us. And the answer to the two questions show how unnatural it is that blessing and cursing should proceed out of the same mouth. So what determines if we speak kind words or harsh words? It is largely about what we think about what we pray about or don't pray about, what you spend your time doing or not doing, all of this fills your heart, and that is what we talk about. So what is filling your heart? Is it God? Is it God's Word? Or is it something else entirely? If you are here today and you feel defeated, tired, worn down, remember that God spoke and God speaks. And if you want to know what God is saying, you must start with the Bible. You must remember what God said. One reason that the Bible was recorded is so we wouldn't forget. How often we forget what God said. God's word is good enough. We sometimes forget about it. God speaks and God spoke. God speaks to the hopeless, to the dying, to the lost, and God speaks a better and greater word than we ever could. God spoke early. We see in Genesis 3 and 15, he shall 
bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians call these verses the proto-evangelum, meaning the first gospel. They knew that Jesus was coming. They didn't know when. The prophets prophesied about his coming. And we know now that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he conquered all of the enemies of God, Satan, sin, death, hell, and the grave. Christ was victorious over all of them. Jesus, for your sake, believer, became sin for you so that you might become the righteousness of God. Those who are in Christ, hear this, Satan will not be victorious. Death will not be victorious. Death has lost its sting, and the believer gets God forever. There is no better news. Good news is good because it invades bad spaces. The reason we like feel-good stories on the news is because we are often hearing bad news on repeat. But church, people of God, you get to speak the best news in the world. Better news than Channel 2 or Channel 13. You get to speak, church. The church speaks. As we close our time together, how can we, as the bride, the church, speak to the people of Houston? I leave you with a lofty challenge. I challenge you to speak the truth and to go. Ephesians 4 and 15 says, we should speak the truth to each other in love. We speak on behalf of Jesus. We follow the example that Jesus set. It was said that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Might that be true of us all? Might we love those who are so different from us? And might we tell them the good news that Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved? Church, speak the truth. Finally, go. Isaiah 6, 1 through 8 captures Isaiah responding to the holiness of God. And Isaiah responds like only you can when you experience and encounter the holiness of God. God says, who shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. Might your words be similar to Isaiah's Might you and I pray and ask God where we should take the gospel to next? There are many in your neighborhood, on your block, in this city who belong to God. They just don't know it yet. Who should you pray to take the gospel to? Verse 5 of James 3 says, The tongue boasts of great things, might the things your tongue boasts in be that Christ really died for you. Christ really rose from the dead. Christ is really alive. And Christ will come again. And for Christ's second coming, we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. But until then, we have work to do. Let's be about our Father's business, speaking the truth.
to our neighbors in love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. You have provided what you would have us to know about you, God, through your word. God, you are all-knowing, all-powerful creator, God. You created the world and you sustain it by the word of your power. Nothing is too hard from you. God, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. And you have made me alive together with Christ, a joint heir. God, would you make our sin increasingly bitter to us so that we can see how sweet Christ is. Christ is all in all. Christ is sufficient. Christ is all we need. And the believer, the believer in Jesus gets God forever. There's no better news. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.